0: I found that one of the things is I, you know, I planned this, this series a long time ago about, you know, no longer being superstitious Christians. And I didn't realize, I guess, how superstitious we were. And I, I think that as a people, and I'm not talking about just Christians, but I'm talking about a people as generally, we're, we're pretty superstitious people, especially when it comes to sporting events. You know, you hear people say things like, well, I was wearing this shirt the last time that we beat this team, and I'm going to wear this shirt again. Like, that shirt is going to make a difference. I actually heard a guy say, I'm wearing the socks that I wore the last time we beat them, and I didn't wash them. I thought that ought to work, you know. You know. I, people say, you know, when we were watching this game, you know, last year we were sitting in this order on the couch, so we need to sit in this order on the couch. And And we want to have some kind of influence on these, these games, like, like they're saying, oh boy, I hope that is all, I hope they wear those socks, you know, because we won't be able to play very good if, you know, they didn't wear the socks today. And, you know, we're, we want to have some control over things. I think that goes all the way back to, you know, in the Garden of Eden when, when you know, Satan tempted Eve and Adam, by the way. He was there, by the way. We always think it was just Eve, but he was there. You can look at the scripture. It says that Adam was with her. And said, you know, you can be like gods. And we said, we want to be like gods. We want to have some influence on what's going to happen in the world. And, it, you know, but as Christians, what happens is, is that so often we think that we're going to be like God's, especially when we pray. It sounds funny when I say that, but I've heard so many preachers, they've preached things that, that they say that if you do this, 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 and then God will do that, this, 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 and I'm going, God's not obligated to do anything when you do these things. That's not really what happens. You know, prayer is the field of choice of many preachers to tell you how God will act when you do the right thing. I mean, just look at the number of books that are on prayer. I mean, and and if you look at those books that are on prayer, I, I want you to take a look, you know, later. You look and see how many of them have the word power in the title of the book. The power of praying as a spouse or, pray, or praying as, you know, over, you know, whatever it might be. And so it gives the idea that you can have a power over what you need to have a power over, what you would like to have a power over. And if they don't have the word power in there, they seem to use the word secret. The secret of praying for whatever. And so we want to know this secret and we buy this book or we want this power and we buy this book and we believe that if we will do this as this person has written because they must be a powerful prayer because, you know, they wrote a book on it. And we believe that they we do this, then we're going to receive what we <laughs> have prayed for. It is superstitious to believe That my actions alone, my actions alone can force God to do something or change the direction that God would like to take things. Hear me in this if you hear nothing else. God will never be our servant. He is not waiting for us to tell him what to do. He is not going to bow down to us and say, oh servant, oh mighty one, tell me what I need to do right now. So I ask you this question, and I only have three answers here, but I actually, there are four. Does prayer change things? Well, the answers are yes, no, sometimes, and maybe. You understand? And I think that a lot of times what we would like to say, when we pray, we like to say, does prayer change things? And we might say, maybe I want you to hear that I don't believe maybe, I believe in yes, but I don't believe in superstition. So I went through the scriptures and I I said, well, let me ask some questions to see if we can come to the, you know, how does this work? How does prayer actually work? Is prayer a matter of formula? Is that what it is? We need the formula? If we just had the right formula of doing this, you come down and you do it this way? In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 14, it says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary. I'm, I'm weary of bearing them. This is God that's speaking here. You see, the people had adopted a religious formula without a heart for God. You see what they were doing, they developed a schedule of worship. You do it this way, you do this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and you you sing this song, you do that, and they had a formula for doing it. And so that worship for them was a matter of filling in the blanks, but let me tell you something about worship, or what prayer I should say, and worship, is that prayer is a matter of the heart. Prayer is a matter of the heart, folks. It's not about, you know, that I have the right formula and it cannot be relegated to religious acts. Verse 15 of Isaiah 1 says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Back a long time ago, you know, when you got a telemarketer that called you, it was a real person. It wasn't a robot. I don't know if many of you know that, but but it used to be a real person. And when that real person called you, they never stopped talking. You understand what was going on? They were, we used to be really nice to all the telemarketers a long time ago. We've learned a lesson since then. And we felt it like it was rude to hang up on somebody. And so we would let them talk and they would talk. And you couldn't get a word in edgewise. They were going to give you their entire spiel without you having to do anything. And I remember some of my friends said, well, when they got a telemarketer, what they did was they just set the phone down and they went about their business. And so that the telemarketer is talking to absolutely no one and no one was listening. Of course, the telemarketer eventually realized there's nobody on the other end and they will hang up. But that's the way it is with God. You know, we can be saying all of these words. When you say, I got the formula here and I'm going to spout out this formula and I'm going to keep rattling it off. And God says, I'm not listening. I'm not listening formulas are merely superstitious ways to believe we are seeing God change things. I have seen so many people go through their formula and then whatever happens they go out there and they paint their bullseye around it. And they say look, this is how I received what I received. And I want you to say to those people that is not what prayer is. Is prayer then, is prayer a matter of ritual? Well, in Isaiah chapter 1 again verse 11 what to me is your multitude of your sacrifices says the Lord I have enough of burnt offerings of lambs and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the bull the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats when you come to appear before me who is required of that this trampling of my courts bring no more vain offerings incense is an abomination to me New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. This is a little bit different from a formula. It does fit the bill. Some people think that if you sacrifice something, you can get something from God. I have fasted for 40 days. The first time I fasted for 40 days, people said, you can ask anything of God he'll give it to you. I thought, really? They felt like God was obligated to give me something because of my fasting. I pointed out that David fasted after he was told that the child that he and Bathsheba had was going to die and the child died anyway. God did not change his mind. See, a sacrifice is a devotion to God without the expectation of receiving anything. And yet some people think that if you sacrifice to God, what you're going to do is get more than you have sacrificed. Let me tell you what that is. When you believe that your sacrifice is going to receive more than you have sacrificed, that is not sacrifice. That's an investment. That's how we invest. That's not sacrifice. See, fasting with prayer focuses your attention on God. I have some experience with this. The fasting causes you to pray because you get hungry. And when you get hungry, it reminds you, I need to pray. And here is the most amazing thing about it. When you focus your attention on God... When you focus your attention on the prayer, your hunger dissipates. So what you do is, is that you pray a whole lot during those 40 days. I can be assured, I can assure you of that. God is not moved by this ritual. I have fasted for 40 days three times. Understand. The first time I fasted for 40 days, I was in a church church that was in such debt and it was in debt when I got there I didn't put them in debt that we were spending 25 percent of our budget for debt retirement we were doing more for debt retirement than we were doing for missions we were doing more for debt retirement than we were able to do even for the ministries that we had in the church it was choking us to death so I decided that I was going to go to God. And I was to ask him, even though we had been wicked in getting in that much debt and not paying the debt off like we should have, I was going to ask God to forgive us and get us out of debt. And I fasted for the 40 days. And 10 months later, we were completely out of debt. God answered the prayer. Amazing to me. The next two times in different churches, I fasted for 40 days and asked God for revival in those churches and nothing happened that I could see. The only person that got any advantage of that was me. I got advantage for praying because praying changes you. I I want to tell you up front. But I did not see revival because God was not going to take the free will away from people who did not want revival. I understood that. But I was hoping there was something that would cause that to happen. Uh, so, it's not a matter of some ritual. It's prayer a matter of praying to religious objects. Are there things that we could pray to and we could therefore see that God would answer our prayers? Second Kings chapter 18 verse 4, talking about Hezekiah. He was king. And he says that he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For in those, until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan, which actually just means a thing of bronze. The evil that was going on during Hezekiah's day was found in praying and worshiping to religious items. They had become idols to the people They should have learned their lesson from the second commandment. They had the ten commandments. The second commandment says in Exodus chapter 20, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in the heaven above, or in the earth, or in the earth beneath, or what is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What it is saying there is is that God will not share his glory with objects. Things that we will hold up. Now you may have a cross or you may have a a supposed picture of Jesus because we don't know what he looked like. And you may be able to focus your attention on prayer because of those things, but you should never pray to those things. And yet within us, there is a tendency to worship or to even pray to something that we can actually see and probably even touch. First time I went to the Holy Land was in 1998. And we went to this place called the Garden Tomb. And if you've ever been to Israel, you probably go to the Garden Tomb. And in the Garden Tomb, you've got a you've got a tomb that is there, obviously, and it's very much like the tomb that Jesus would have been buried in. It could be the uh, the one that Jesus is buried in. They say it's not, but it certainly could be because there's a there's a place, there's a hill right there that looks like a skull. We know that Jesus was crucified by road because people were passing by. There's a road that is there. Uh, we know that there was a garden there because remember they thought that there was a gardener that was there at the tomb and it was actually an angel. And so there's a garden there. They found a wine press and they've also found a 250,000 gallon cistern that was there so they, they could, you know, water the, the, uh, the uh, grapevines and such that were there. They know that when they go into the tomb, it was, by the way, it was a rich man's tomb. And in this tomb, they turn to the right. You go in this tomb, it's turned to the right. There is a cross that has been painted on that wall from, I mean, from, I don't know if it's millennia back, but from a long, long time, hundreds of years before, because it's very, very faint that is there. You know, the people have worshipped in there. You know that in that tomb that, as you go in there, you can see that where the the, the person was to be laid, they have quickly cut out the end of the, uh, of both ends of the of the place where that person would have been laid because the person who is being buried there is not the person it was designed for because they had to make it a little bit longer. And you know that. And you, you can go in that tomb, you can see that it's not finished. They never... The other side is not completely finished. So it was hastily done. You know all of that kind of stuff. And the guy that was there, British, the British actually run it. And I remember him saying, but do we know this was the tomb that Jesus was buried in? And he says, no, we do not. And he said, but it doesn't matter because he's not there. And I thought, that's great. But that's not all he said. He said, we do not worship tombs or stones. And if we see you in there worshiping those that tomb or those stones, we will throw you out. And I said, that's pretty strong. Because if you go to the church of the Holy Sepulchre, which there supposedly is the site, you will come right outside and you'll find that there's this big rock that they say that Jesus was taken down off the cross on it and was laid there. And you will find people there worshiping that rock. You'll find them taking off even pieces of their clothing, rubbing it on that rock like they're going to get some kind of a special blessing out of that, and worshiping right there in that place. And it is not what the scriptures tell us we need to do see we worship and we pray to a risen savior not some rocks not some crosses not some statues not any of that we have a risen savior that we can go to is then prayer is prayer a matter of words that are said you just need to say the right words when you pray Well, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus was talking about this. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. see, what they were saying is if you say the right words, if you say them in the right way, if you do it long enough, then what you will find that God will do what you want him to. I think you know by now what I said before. Prayer is a matter of the heart. Now, I want to tell you that praying all night is not magical. But I have prayed all night several times. Now, here's my problem. You probably don't know this, but I'm a talker. And I talk a lot. And when I go to God, I mean, let me tell you something. You go into a church and you don't have any lights on. You don't need any lights to pray. Churches are creepy places in the middle of the night. But I talk, and 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 I talk. And somewhere down the line, I stop, and God says, I didn't think he would ever stop. <laughs> and that's when the miracle really starts to happen. You see, what happens is, is that at that point, I have nothing left to say, and God has say to me, And I have literally, and I know that I have not, I didn't hear it with my ears, but I have heard God speak. But he had to wait till I got through. It wasn't about my many words that he spoke. It wasn't that by my many words that he answered my prayers. It's when I finally stopped that he answered my prayer. I heard a preacher one time say, if Jesus hadn't said Lazarus' name when he said, Come forth, you know, all of the people in the tombs would have come out. I go, Oh, come on, really? You think it is about the verbal words and that's going to get around God's purpose? But that's exactly what people are saying when you have to say certain words. The Lord's prayer is an example of prayer. It's not a prayer to get what you want. No, it is not by your many words that you'll get what God wants you to have, or what God will answer. Prayer seeks to align us with God's will. We should learn that from the Lord's Prayer. It says in Matthew 6:10: it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the very first request in the Lord's Prayer. It focuses all of the rest of the requests that are there. We should even learn that from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because within a few hours, he's going to be tortured and then he's going to be crucified. And he prays in Matthew 26, verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, is it possible? Let this, if it is possible, rather. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, I will say this, folks. If there was anyone that should have known the right formulas, the right rituals, the right objects, and the right words, wouldn't it have been Jesus? And yet he was praying what? I want to line up with the Father. That's what he was praying. Jesus' concern was simply that. It's also the reason that I pray all night sometimes. Because because it takes more than a few words on my part to line up myself with what God really wants to do. I know that a lot of people don't see the value of praying for a long time. But I can tell you when you pray for a long time like that, you understand I am going to line up with God somewhere down this line. That's why you do it. Not because of the many words. When I was a kid, they used to have this commercial on TV. There was this... A shampoo called prel and they would take the prel bottle and they would take a pearl and they would drop it in that pearl bottle and they would show you how thick the pearl i mean how thick the shampoo was because so how far it took to get down to the bottom how long it took to sink in i'm going to tell you something folks god's will for me sometimes takes a long time to sink in but that's what prayer is really about for god is always sovereign There is nothing that will keep God from accomplishing his will. Job chapter 42, 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Some people are going to look at that and say, well, then if God's going to do what God's going to do, then why should I even bother praying? Well, let me ask you, when does God know you're going to pray? When is it that God knows that you are what your prayer is going to be? Is it at that moment or is it at a different time? Psalm 139 1 says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and, you, and known me. You, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my days, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. What he's telling us there is, is that God knows your prayer before the beginning of time. And God has heard your prayer before the beginning of time. He knows that you are going to pray and he has already answered that prayer. But he also knows if you never did pray too. Do you understand? He already knows that. And so it doesn't mean that he'll give you what you want. But I will tell you, he has considered your prayer already at that time. It says in Matthew 6, 8, says, you think you're going to be like those Gentiles? It says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. How does he know that? Well, he knew it before the beginning of time, remember? That's when he found out about it. Nothing ever occurred to him. It began, he knew it from the very beginning. See, prayer is therefore a partnership with God, with us being the minor partners that's what prayer is for God's power is used consistently with who he is now what I'm going to read to you is a long passage and I thought about telling you the story but I want you to have the word of God kind of hit you in the face for a second In Mark chapter 5, verse 25, it says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said if I touch even his garments I will be made well and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was being she was healed of her disease and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned around in the crowd and said who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and you say who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, listen to this, daughter, not you're touching me. He said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So we have a woman who has a problem that she can't fix and she can't find anybody else who can fix it. She hears of Jesus and she knows who he is. A lot of people didn't know who he was. You see, a lot of people would thought that Jesus is only a holy man. Now, if he was only a holy man, then what would happen is she was considered unclean. And if an unclean person, because of her issue of blood, if an unclean person touched a holy man, she would make him unholy. And that would have been what would have happened if he was only a holy man. But you see, that's not who Jesus is totally. He was holy. But he was also God. And God cannot be made unholy. Do you realize what happens here then? If you touch his outer garment, it says there, that would have been his prayer shawl that he would have had around him. That would have probably been the most holy thing that you could have touched. If you would have touched that... You know what happens? Since he can't be made unholy, he can't be made unclean. She must be made clean. That's the faith that she had. Do you see the faith that is there? She knew him more than simply a holy man. So when God acted in this, it was consistent with who he is in other words, God will not act in the intent of temptation, sin, lies, or anything else that goes against who He is. God is always the same, and He will always act in His holiness. For God will not allow His power to be usurped by superstitious actions. For God wants us to walk with Him. I say that so many times to you guys, but I wanted you to get it. God wants us. He's not going to come and walk with us in our sinfulness. He wants us to walk with him. Micah 6, eight says, He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I want to drill that truth into us. You realize that God wants us to walk with him. That is the reason for salvation. So we'll come and walk with him. That's the reason that he calls you into service. So that when you do the service, you are walking with him. that is the reason for prayer. God wants us to come and walk with him. When Zechariah prophesies that God will bring back the house of Judah under god 's care, he says in zechariah ten twelve "I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. that is how we are to live. that is how we are to pray. I would like to share this prayer that I have for this church. I would pray, and I am praying, that we will put aside all of the superstitious, superficial beliefs and fully do what the Lord wants us to do. That we will be a people that will reach people with the gospel. And we will be this people that will be changed so that we can reach people with the gospel because a people that do not have the power of the Holy Spirit do not have the boldness in order to go out and share the gospel. I pray for anointing of the Holy Spirit upon this church. I pray that we make disciples, but we can't do that also without that Holy Spirit. We can't do that being the same people that we are. And so I pray that we walk with God in his name, And we are a changed people. See, to do that, we need people of this church to seek God with all their hearts, minds, and souls while he can be found. And if that happens, we will have revival. I will tell you the truth on this, folks. I believe absolutely fully that I am walking with God in this prayer. Pray with me.